Good evening. Life without cinema, a right word Democrat switches to independent. Brittany Griner freed. Who's next? And voter suppression in Georgia. Did Democrats suffer at the hands of the GOP despite a win? And on the steps of New York City Hall, hundreds call for an end to involuntary detention of the mentally ill. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Friday, December 9th, 2022. Former Minneapolis police officer J. Alexander King, who kneeled on George Floyd's back as another kneeled on the black man's neck, was sentenced to three and a half years in prison on Friday. In exchange for a guilty plea in October, a charge of aiding and abetting murder was dropped. King is also serving a federal sentence for violating Floyd's civil rights. The state sentence will be served at the same time. He declined to address the court from a federal prison in Ohio. With credit for time served, King will spend about two and a half years in jail. Floyd died on May 25, 2020, after former officer Derek Chauvin kneeled on Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes as Floyd repeatedly said he couldn't breathe and eventually went limp. The killing, which was recorded on video by a bystander, sparked worldwide protests. Democratic Senator Kirsten Sinema, whose role as a deal-breaker cost the president his signature legislation, announced Friday she had registered as an independent. In an interview, Sinema said, I just don't fit well into a traditional party system. White House press spokesperson Karine Jean-Pierre said Democrats will continue to work with Sinema. And so, look, we understand her decision uh, to uh, register as an independent in Arizona. The way we see it and understand it, it does not change the new Democratic majority uh, control of the Senate. And uh, we have every reason to expect that we will continue to work with her successfully. Along with West Virginia's Joe Manchin, Cinema has been one of two Democrats in the 50-50 Senate who bucked the party during the first two years of the Biden presidency. She was a staunch defender of the filibuster and a Senate rule requiring 60 votes to pass most legislation in the 100-member upper body. And Russian President Vladimir Putin said Friday that more U.S.-Russian prisoner exchanges are possible if Moscow and Washington find a compromise. Poon spoke a day after Russian arms dealer Victor Bout was swapped for WNBA star and two-time Olympian Brittany Griner. The U.S. failed to win freedom for another American, Paul Whelan. The Michigan corporate security executive has been imprisoned in Russia since December 2018 on espionage charges the government says are baseless. Nevertheless, it was all smiles on Thursday as the president made his announcement in the White House. Moments ago, standing together with her wife, Sherelle, uh in the Oval Office, I spoke with Brittany Griner. She's safe. She's on a plane. She's on her way home. After months of being unjustly detained in Russia, held under intolerable circumstances, Brittany will soon be back in the arms of her loved ones, and, uh, and she should have been there all along. Griner's wife, Sherelle, was at the White House with Biden. She offered hope to Whalen's family that he may be released as well. Um, today, my family is whole, but as you all are aware, there's so many other families who are not whole. And so BG's not here to say this, but I will gladly speak on her behalf and say that BG and I will remain committed to the work of getting every American home, including Paul, whose family is in our hearts today as we celebrate BG being home. We do understand that there are still people out here who are enduring what I endured the last nine months of missing tremendously their loved ones. Sherelle Griner in the White House on Thursday. 
Victor Bout, dubbed the Merchant of Death, has spent over 14 years behind bars in the United States for allegedly selling weapons to terrorist organizations. In more news of psychological warfare operations, a representative of Ukraine's Center for Civil Liberties, one of the organizations sharing this year's Nobel Peace Prize, said Friday, Russian President Vladimir Putin should face an international tribunal for the fighting in Ukraine. In October, the Ukrainian group was named a co-winner of the 2022 Peace Prize, along with a Russian human rights group and the jailed head of a Belarusian group. This year's Peace Prize is awarded to human rights advocate Alis Bialyatsky from Belarus. The Russian human rights organization Memorial and the Ukrainian Human Rights Organization, Center for Civil Liberties. The Triple Peace Prize was seen as a strong rebuke to Putin, not only for Russia's actions in Ukraine, but for the Kremlin's crackdown on domestic opposition and its close ties with the authoritarian leader, Lukashenko. But the author of a newly published book in Norway, Fame or Shame, Norway and the Nobel Peace Prize, Frederick Heffermel, who is also with the group Nobel Peace Prize Watch, says the Norwegian parliament, tasked with deciding the Peace Prize recipients, has strayed far from the inventor's wishes laid out in Alfred Nobel's will. Norway was very peaceful in the early 1890s, but just as Nobel wrote his will, we changed because we wanted to prepare for a possible war with Sweden to get out of the Union. That is the political reason why it was so unfortunate to task the Norwegian parliament with the selection of the Nobel Award Committee members. In other words, Norway was uh, committed towards uh, to starting a war, if necessary, with Sweden to break out of its uh, alliance. So peace, you know, although it was a peaceful country, peace was not on its mind. No, no, it was a change of minds uh, exactly when Nobel wrote his uh, testament. Because they wanted to avoid this central tool for peace, the most controversial tool for peace, namely disarmament, they decided to never interpret the will and forget it altogether, selected their own word, peace, and then they could do anything they like, and they have done so more and more so. It's been more and more disconnected from any connection with the original intention of the testator. So you're saying it's propaganda? Yeah, and I mean, it's now more and more politicized for uh, NATO and the U.S. policies. It has happened very much during the former world Cold War, but now picking up again with an, a new Cold War, and they are reenacting the same attitudes. And um, instead of, as they should stop wars. They are taking sides in the uh, ongoing war. <laughs> mm -hmm. Andrew Carnegie, believe it or not, who dedicated billions of his money to building the Hague in the, ne in the, the Netherlands and to, died of a broken heart when he couldn't stop World War I from breaking out. He was a great industrialist, probably responsible for making more weapons through the invention of steel than uh, anyone you, before you, him. You, 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 yeah. you needn't tell me because I no, uh, uh, Carnegie gave his whole fortune and he said that the key thing uh, was to uh, stop uh, war. And when that problem had been solved, they could go on to other problems. 
also there from day one, his money was never used in the way he had expected. In my new book, I have been checking the nominations all the way back to 1901 and uh, seen who should have received the prize. And I found that Andrew Carnegie, just for this great donation, dedication to peace, should have won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1914, I think. Right, and he did not win it. No. American audience that only looks at things as a cowboy movie, white hat and black hat, and it's just that's the way it fits into a Hollywood movie format. It's easy for Americans to understand. Read the will and uh, the interpretation of the will, which I have delivered now, and uh, just a new book, which is ready for, for American publishers. One must now start respecting the legal rights of those uh, peace activists which a uh, p- prize was meant for. The one million uh, right. uh, uh, dollar per year would uh, do a lot for people like uh, Medea Benjamin. They're not going to give out the prize and make people popular and famous in the eyes of the world who are against the right-wing American... Yeah, well... No way. <laughs> They're going to yeah. give it to people who represent the President of the United States' opinions. It's a very much a NATO prize. Frederick Havermel with the group Nobel Peace Prize Watch. He's the author of a newly published book in Norway, Fame or Shame, Norway and the Nobel Peace Prize, that's soon to be released in the United States in an English version. Among controversial Nobel Peace Prize winners, former U.S. President Barack Obama, who criticized the prize in his acceptance speech as he lauded American military power, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, who masterminded the bombing of Cambodia, leading to the Kent State Massacre of four protesting students, North Vietnam's Foreign Minister Le Duc Tho, who shared the prize with Kissinger but refused to accept, saying peace has not yet been established. And here in the U.S., with Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock's runoff victory, Georgia Democrats are heralding a change in status from red state to battleground swing state, a harsh reality for the GOP. They used to hail the state as a stronghold. Democrats are looking to leverage their wins in the state, including President Biden's 2020 victory and twin Senate runoffs. And Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was beaming on the Senate floor Thursday. After one year, 10 months, and 17 days of the longest 50-50 Senate in history, 51, a slim majority. That is great, and we are so happy about it. First and foremost, I want to congratulate Raphael Warnock. I spoke to him this morning again on running, and he'll be up here later today, um, on running just a great race, strong, inspiring, unifying, never daunted. I remember calling him the day uh, the vote came in in the general election. And even though he was disappointed that we came close but not at 50 and he'd have to run again, he said, I'm raring to go and we're going to win the runoff. And of course he did by not half a percent or one percent, but by close to three percent. Nevertheless, investigative journalist Greg Palace says the long waits and longer lines on Election Day in Georgia, touted by the media as signs of Democratic strength, were in fact a sign of weakness because of laws passed by the Republican State House to suppress turnout by limiting non-traditional voting methods like drop boxes. 
the number of mail-in ballots in the general election in November dropped by 83%. Raphael Warnock won those ballots by more than two to one, and it dropped by 83%. This, and in the runoff, the mail-in balloting dropped by more than 90%. A 90% drop. And so what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the long lines. By the way, that's an, long lines are not evidence of there's no problem in Georgia. That's evidence of Jim Crow. Because the, the uh, CNN reporters dare not venture outside of Atlanta to see what's going on. In every single precinct in Atlanta, every one, it's online, the wait times are more than two hours. Outside, in the Republican white zone, the wait times were 10 minutes. How do you stop people from voting by mail? Well, number one, you crush the runoff period from 17 days to six. Then they had to add one day because they got cute. They said you can't have any early voting from day after state holiday. Well, the state holiday, which we call Black Friday, that's not a holiday, it's shopping day. Here is Robert E. Lee Day. So they stopped black people from voting Saturday because to honor Robert E. Lee, which I thought was, I guess, quite appropriate. You also crush the time for mail-in voting because there's simply no time, literally no time. How do you have a 90% drop in mail-in balloting? You basically make uh, cut the time from 60 days to 28 days for the runoff. There's just no time for the counties to print ballots, mail it to you, you get it, mail it back, and you have to, in Georgia unlike uh, California or other states where the ballot, mail-in ballot must be postmarked on election day, here it must be received on election day. You can't get it in. Now, there's an alternative to the post office, much used here in, in Atlanta, which is the drop box. You get your mail-in ballot, you go to a drop box. I know in California, I vote at the Hollywood Bowl. There's often very long lines, but every Californian gets a ballot mailed to them. And you can either go in and exchange it and vote on, on a machine, or you can go in and just hand in your ballot, go to the front line, there's a box, drop box. That's they used in Atlanta. They were outside. You, if you work late, you go to the drop box, like a mailbox. It has it secure. You've got cameras on it. Every, every ballot, by the way, look at your mail-in ballots. Every single one has a, its individual QR code. You can't just <laughs> photocopy a ballot and stuff a ballot box. I was just talking to Congressman, Congresswoman um, Jasmine Crockett yesterday of Texas. She was calling people whose votes had been rejected. This is a big problem all over the United States, but in Georgia it's really bad. Republicans say you mail in your ballot, say, oh, we don't like your signature. But what the Democrats were very good at doing, not the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party is pretty useless. It's the activist groups. I work with Black Voters Matter Fund. I work with others. I did a, a study. I did investigations. It's the voting rights groups that are calling people and saying, your ballot's been challenged. You have to come in fix it or sign an affidavit. It's a big process to get your vote counted, but they got it counted. The one lie here is that there was a huge turnout. It was a collapse of a turnout. I don't care. When you have a 20% drop in turnout in a do-or-die election, Uh that's Jim Crow in operation. So, But they couldn't Jim Crow it enough to steal it. As he says in our film, Major Turner, I'm 26 hundred miles away and you tell me all i have to do is show up and prove that i'm an american citizen this is a soldier 
that's all I have to do. He says, you talk to fools like that. But you know what? Who's fools? The New York Times readers. CNN watchers. MSNBC watchers. Fox News watchers. They're the fools who buy it. No, there was not a record turnout. There was a record collapse in the vote. 20% reduction in vote is a collapse. Greg Palace says he has a new movie out. He produced with partner Zach Roberts called Vigilante, George's vote suppression hitman. The film documents how primarily voters of color were obstructed in Georgia. Through the weekend, through Sunday, you can watch our film about what's going on in Georgia by Zachary Roberts, my co-producer, myself, uh, called Vigilante, Georgia's Vote Suppression Hitman. And it tells you what's going on, the real story of Georgia, and it get, rips the bark off Governor Brian Kemp, who has now been endorsed for the presidency by the Wall Street Journal and was given a virtual endorsement by the New York Times Yes, this week. So this guy has been chosen by the elite as your next president. Find out about this guy who's used every racist trick in the book to get himself elected and reelected. And you do that, you go to gregpalace.com, you get the links for Vigilante. It's free and narrated by Rosario Dawson. Investigative journalist Greg Palast. In local news, the city has issued an advisory urging New Yorkers to mask up as the triple threat of COVID-19 flu and a respiratory virus known as RSV become a reality. According to City Health Commissioner Dr. Ashwin Vossen, the five boroughs are seeing an unusually high simultaneous spike in infections caused by the three respiratory viruses. As of Friday, the city's seven-day COVID-19 infection rate stood at 13.6%. Flu activity, meanwhile, was at an elevated level the week of Thanksgiving, and the city's RSV case count rose by half to 3,000. And in news from the steps of City Hall, hundreds of members of the activist group Communities United for Police Reform and their allies rallied at City Hall to denounce Mayor Eric Adams' directive that expands the scope of police powers to involuntarily detain New Yorkers deemed by cops to be mentally ill and force them into treatment. CPR spokesperson Antonine Pierre explained why they were there. It's not just that we are angry. It's not just that we want to protect our folks. It's also that we want Mayor Eric Adams to rescind this wild, flagrant directive to lock up people on the street in hospitals for 72 hours. And we want the resources that prevent the problem to begin with. It is a simple, it is a simple management equation. We have resources, we need to distribute them equally. New York's mental hygiene laws, like similar laws in every state, allows courts to force people into inpatient psychiatric hospitalizations or assisted outpatient treatment based on the word of family members, law enforcement, and others. The courts can compel a person to take medication, visit doctors, and into mental health treatments. Pierre adds, the job of police should not be intervention. NYPD officers are not equipped to decide if someone should be forced into mental health treatment. NYPD officers will tell you themselves they should not be the primary agency to address mental health and health 
day, when you don't know when your next meal is coming from, you don't need the mayor talking mental health. What we need is a comprehensive care plan because I don't know if Mayor Adams knows, but we are in a pandemic and have been for three years. Another activist, Ibrahim X, says he's been homeless and had mental illness. He says the treatment is useless and consists of a chair in a waiting room in the company of fellow patients. So what does involuntarily mental health treatment mean to a flesh and blood person like me? It's sitting in a crowded room in Woodhall Hospital. And you got to listen to people recount their trauma. You got to listen to the girl who was molested and that's why she's acting out. Or the guy who, you know, he's been, he didn't grow up with a father or a mother, so now he's acting out. And then when you hear their story that you don't want, really want to hear and you're locked in that crowded room, it's not, there's no treatment going on like a doctor. It's just a crowded room. And you got to relive your trauma. And don't have a kid, because I got kids. I got a family that loves me too. But when I'm involuntarily getting treatment, I can't talk to them. I can't talk to my daughter. So you're not just involuntarily taking me from my family. You're taking me from my children. You're taking me from my life. Advocates have been raising alarms. The Adams Directive will further criminalize unhoused and mentally ill people and result in violence by police. The mayor's directive has been criticized as vague and inviting police overkill. Adams' November 28th Directive authorizes the NYPD and Department of Health and Mental Hygiene to forcibly shuttle people experiencing severe mental illness from the streets and subways into hospitals for psychiatric evaluation. City Council Member Sandy Nurse says the directive adds to the problem because hospitals and emergency rooms are full to capacity and medical workers are at a breaking point. Why does it make sense to take someone and bring them to hospitals that are overwhelmed with frontline workers that are underpaid and stressed out and ready to leave the profession altogether with no actual money to back up those institutions. It doesn't make sense. People are trying to rush to the front of a solution without putting forward a thoughtful plan. Activists point out possible consequences to the civil rights of people swept off the streets. Under New York State law, involuntarily hospitalized people in non-criminal proceedings can be held financially liable for the cost of their commitment, including the ambulance ride. The cost of hospital stays for people not covered by insurance could quickly balloon into thousands of dollars. Hospitals have even sued formerly institutionalized people to collect medical debts. City Council member Alexa Villez was outraged. She says, don't call the mayor's directive a plan. That would be an insult. So I gotta, I gotta ask everyone that's here to not call what is happening a plan. That is, that is not a plan. And I'm, those of you called it a directive, yeah, okay. That's even being generous. This is not a plan. This is disappearing people because you are too incapable of being thoughtful about people that need support. This is disappearing people because you are too incapable of being creative and addressing a true situation of the people of your city. So this is not a plan. Esto no es un plan. 
And I get insulted every time I hear someone refer to disappearing people as a plan, because it is not. Councilmember Shahana Hanif says police aren't trained to intervene with emotionally disturbed people as a job left experts. Involuntary force hospitalization is not a public safety strategy. The NYPD will never, even with any kind of training, be mental health professionals. So let's secure investments, real dollars, to peer-to-peer providers real comprehensive solutions for a mental health infrastructure that looks out for our city and doesn't abandon anyone. The executive director of the New York City chapter of the Drug Policy Alliance is Tony Smith-Thompson. She says Adams is not telling New Yorkers the whole story. There isn't enough funding to serve mentally ill people. The mayor says he has a responsibility to not ignore people living on the street, but he ignores how people are told no, neglected and passed by every day as they try to access housing, truly affordable housing, social services, healthcare, the very factors that contribute to mental strain, unaddressed trauma, physical illness, and homelessness. And after our community members have been repeatedly denied access to basic living needs, the mayor wants to send in the police and convince us that warehousing people against their will is care. In a recent report, the Bazelon Center for Mental Health Law said research shows Adams' directive won't make the city safer, but will increase the possibility of suicide among people with mental health conditions. The center says the proven method is to provide stable and affordable housing with supportive services. Mental health is not a crime! After an hour in front of City Hall, protesters had unfurled a banner on the steps reading, Democracy Dies in a Police State. In related news, Mayor Adams' directive to involuntarily sweep mentally ill people from the streets into hospitals was challenged in federal court on Thursday. A civil rights firm filed a motion in an existing lawsuit arguing the new policy lowers standards for forced hospitalizations by increasing police powers to intervene. The motion also says the policy violates the Americans with Disabilities Act and the New York City human rights laws. And that's some of the news for Friday, December 9th, 2022. The news was produced and written by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.